Well, greetings to each one this morning. Jesus' precious name. I've been very blessed this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Very blessed. One of the songs we uh, sang was about the word of the Lord. For we know that when time and the world pass away, God's word will forever endure. What a marvelous foundation we have this morning and truth to, to build our lives upon. What a, what a blessing. I'm thankful for that. When the world passes away, as Peter puts it, with a great noise, God's word will endure. That's a blessing to think about. <clears throat> the world isn't a very secure place right now, is it? Not secure at all. <clears throat> but we have a great security in the Lord. Well, maybe for a bit of an introduction to the message here this morning, I have for some time felt the Lord possibly nudging me in a certain direction to preach messages on a, a certain topic. And I also heard it from different of the families that they would have a, an interest or a longing to hear messages on this topic. So with much prayer and, and uh, waiting before the Lord, I, I, I feel like I'm embarking on a very big project this morning. <laughs> And you'll probably understand why when I give you the title, but I do feel like a very big project. I don't know how many messages, but uh, it's big, but part of what makes it feel so big, it's so important. And it's not that we never heard, heard about it. We've heard a lot about this, I believe, but maybe not real recently and maybe as specific as I hope to get. So I need your prayers. I'm willing to step forth and trust the Lord if you're willing to pray for me. And the topic is on the home. Message is on the home. As you might be able to understand, all the good and, and experienced preachers that have preached on it before, I feel very intimidated to, to embark out on this, but... I have to put that aside, and it's our day. It's our generation. Someone needs to say it. Someone needs to preach it. And I couldn't really ask for a better introduction than the children's lesson. That was a very good introduction on the heart of the, of the, of the message. Heart of the series, I believe, is for, God, is for God's people, for Christians, to obey the Lord. And the title, I guess, of the series, I, I, I struggled with it for a while, but I finally settled with, not that I felt it needed to be anything unique, but I finally decided on families for God. <clears throat> families for God. And I'm going to admit that, at least for the message today, quite a bit of it comes from from books and, and uh, information that I read. I'll be using some of their outlines. But this is very important to the Lord, as we very clearly see from, from the Bible. I think I'm going to take two books, Brother Denny's and Brother David Burkholder's, and read their introduction to their book, part of it, to us this morning. But before I do that, I'd like to read from the Bible, if you want to turn with me to Psalm 78, and hear the heart of God on this matter. And it definitely, uh, it definitely agrees with what Vernon brought there about the Rechabites. I found that very interesting. I'm reading in Jeremiah myself right now, and I'm just about there 
with the Regabites. I love that account too. Such a challenge there. But in Psalm 78, David uh, brings to mind these words, and I'd like for that for us to think about them as parents and our responsibility, kind of as a introduction to the message today, and maybe to the whole number of messages that the Lord would give us. Psalm 78, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Truly we have heard this message before. Now look at the response. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Get this now, especially us fathers. He appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them, even the, the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. <clears throat> Thank you, Vernon, for that children's lesson. I needed that this morning. That was a real confirmation to me. Years ago, they didn't have printing presses and books as much as we do today. And so their method was for the fathers to teach these things to their children and pass them on to the next generation. Family devotions, if you will, became very important when it all rested upon you to, to clearly pass on the stories and the accounts of how God brought his people out of, out of Egypt. That responsibility was laid upon primarily the fathers and their teachers, of course. <clears throat> God went to some extreme measures to make sure this happens. Sometimes he asked them to raise up monuments, strange-looking uh, children. Listen to me. Look up here, children. God had the children of Israel to sometimes to make pillars of rocks, strange-looking pillars. And, and it was primarily that when the children were walking along and they seen one of these strange-looking pillars, and they would ask their daddy, what's this pillar for? It was to remind them simply about the works, what God did in days gone by. Oh, children, that rock pillar, our great, great, great grandfather put there to remind us of how God brought them out of Egypt. And it says here in our, in our, uh, our text here, That they were not to hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength. And his wonderful works that he had done. David read one this morning. When the children of Israel came through the Red Sea, they sang praises of their deliverance. And fathers and mothers we at least need to do that for our own testimony's sake to our children, to maintain our own testimony of, of uh, what we believe about God and what God did in our own lives. Amen? It is so important from time to time to remind and tell the, tell the story of our own conversion. Brother, when was the last time you sat your children and your grandchildren down and told them about your conversion. 
I didn't do it for a long time. About how God uh, saved us and brought us out of darkness and brought and, and gave us a victory over sin. Wouldn't that be good? Amen? Wouldn't that be good every now and then for us to do that? Well, they did this simply to pass. And this was a decree. This was a command by God. It was a law appointed, a testimony in Jacob, an appointed law in Israel that the fathers sit down and tell their children these stories. All right, I'm going to read to you the introduction. I think today the message will primarily be to stir in us Maybe just more so the fathers. Ladies, your turn will come a little later, but I'm sure a lot of this will splash over on you. And if you're in tune with the Lord, I'm sure his spirit will stir in your hearts too. But I guess just to let you know the daunting task of, of speaking on the home and the responsibility and the difficulty that all of us fathers know about raising children and then they need to get up and speak and teach God's will. So I chose to to share with you these men's thoughts as they began to write on this huge topic. David Burkholder writes in the introduction of his book, Ye Fathers. Ye have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers, wrote the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.15. While he was writing to a church about spiritual fathers, what would he say if he were writing to homes? Would he not ask, where are the men, the real men, who are truly concerned about being faithful fathers to the next generation? When children and homes fail, how often it is because of delinquent or careless fathers. Homes desperately need fathers who are serious about their accountability to God for how they raise their children. Fathering children for God is a tremendous work. No human being of himself has the ability or all the answers. It can only be done with the help and blessing of God, our Heavenly Father. We who prepare this book are well aware of this and do not want to pose as authorities on the subject. We want to point fathers to God and to the Bible truths and share approaches that we can encourage fathers when they face challenges in their fathering. Someone said it like, someone said we are like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We don't have the answers. This is a big project. Fathering is soul-searching and at times soul-wrenching because it exposes a father's deficiencies as few other duties can. The only answer is to humbly beseech God to work in us and in our children to the saving of our souls. And theirs. Certainly, God must be praised for any success in this great work of fathering. Now, Brother Denny's introduction, part of his. His is a lot longer, but I chose just to read a few. He says, as I sit down to write an introduction to this book, several thoughts pass through my mind. I think of the hundreds of times I have prayed about writing this book. And now here I am, sitting in front of the keyboard, beginning to type. I do not know of anything I have prayed more except for my own family. 
I have received many requests to take the material from the Godly Home tape series and put it into print. And I appreciate each request, for they have forced me to keep praying about it. You might ask, why so much prayer? He gives three reasons. The first reason was, and I won't read it all, but simply he said, I don't want to make a mistake and just write another book on the home. He wanted the Lord to be in it, and so he made it a huge matter of prayer. The second reason was that he said, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to write a book. And so he made it a huge matter of of prayer. The third reason is what I want to read. The last reason I have prayed much about this book is that I myself have lots of room to grow in this, in this, grow in the many areas of home life and child training. Who am I writing a book about raising godly children? Nevertheless, alas, God has the last word and I simply obey. The title of this book, The Pursuit of Godly Seed, expresses the burden I carry for the homes of this, our land, and for the homes all over the world. God is brooding over our homes with jealousy. He is seeking a godly seed, as it says in Malachi 2.15, and nobody seeks more diligently than God does. I enter into the burden and desire to labor together with him for precious godly children, children who will rise up, love him, serve him with all their hearts. I reference Malachi 4.5 often as you move through the many aspects of child training. Many applications flow from, from the truths revealed in these verses. The spirit of God is moving on the hearts of fathers, mothers, and children alike in these last days. There is a mysterious work of God taking place in the multitudes of homes all across America and the world. God is literally cautioning men everywhere to repent of their unscriptural focus on on other things and turning their hearts to see the family as he, God, sees it. This is the burden of this book. I join my heart with God's heart in calling homes back to this beautiful order and the blessing he intended it to be. And now if you would, I would like for you to bow your head and close your eyes and I'm going to read Denny's prayer here. O Father in heaven, here we are before you. You know us all so very well. You know the state of our different homes, and you know what we need. In Jesus' name, open the understanding of our hearts. Let us begin to see our homes the way you see them even if that is painful. Renew our vision, engage our wills, empower us to obey whatever the cost, create in us a desire to change, and give us the grace to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, my prayer too is for help, Lord. God, I know you didn't change. Your heart, your burden is still the same. Denny is gone. Lord, We thank you for the teaching, Lord. We know he taught the truth. We know that. We know he taught your heart. We know that, God. Not everything turned out right there, Lord. 
but we know he taught the truth. Lord, and here we are this morning, a number of years later, a church with many children, many different ages, God, and they're all precious in your sight, Lord, and fathers and mothers sitting here that I know have a burden for their children, and they need instruction, they need inspiration, Lord. They need to be stirred up. They want to be stirred up. I believe that, these mothers and fathers in front of me here. They know they can't do the job. I know I can't do the job. Lord, who am I even to teach these great truths, Lord God, of raising up your children you give to us. Lord, you lay upon us great responsibilities and and. And, Lord, you give us what we need to do the job. But, oh, Father, many times it looks so big. The pressures are upon us, Father. So many pressures from within, from without God. And yet, you seek a godly seed. You seek for that that child that has a heart after God. You saw it there in the Rechabites. It stood out to you, Father, like a bright light. And you used it, God, for an example to your children. Oh, how disobedient and rebellious and stiff-necked they were. Lord. Lord, help me. Help us, Lord, to learn from your word God, I don't know how to preach this, these messages, but someone needs to do it. Lord, we're raising eternal souls. And Lord, I know many of us are past that stage, and we have grandchildren to influence, and growing children to still Encourage in in the right way, Lord. Oh, God, help us. Lord, I pray as I talk to the fathers this morning, you would touch their hearts. Like David Burkholder said, sometimes it's heart, I forget how he said, heart-wrenching and... How Denny said, sometimes it's, <clears throat> it's painful when we see how we've failed. But Lord, you're a God of hope. There's hope this morning for all of us, Lord. And we approach these messages that way, Lord, upon the precious promises of God and, and all that you've given us, Lord, and Father, I pray that we would not be in despair and in hopelessness and discouragement, Lord, about our families. But, Lord, we would sit up and listen to your word and we would want to do what the Rechabites' children did and, and do what their father told them to do, Lord. You have given us many instructions, Father, and many blessings, Lord. And, yes, we have failed many times. But, oh, God, here we are this morning embarking on a tremendous journey, Lord. And I pray for help. Father, I pray that the fathers and the mothers in this room would feel that burden with me and pray and pray. Oh God, our only hope is if you build our homes. Except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. Truly that is true in our cases, Father. Oh, God, help me. I don't know how to do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord, help me. You can turn your Bibles to Ephesians. I guess I'll start where God started. He, when he shared his burden about families and needs, he went to the heads of the homes. And we have here in Ephesians 6... Beautiful words. They've already been quoted in the children's lesson, some of them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. Wow. Which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then he says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ye fathers, ye fathers, God speaking. The arresting voice of God to every one of us that had the privilege of holding a little one on our lap. I see many of you out there holding little ones on your laps. God says to you, provoke not that little one, but bring them up in the nurture an admonition of the Lord. It is a voice of divine authority. God's voice. God who made the hope. Excuse me. I'm not sure why I'm so emotional. I know there's needs here, but it's not that I feel they're that great and that big that I'm crying about that. Even though I know there's needs and I know you know there's needs and and that's how we all feel, but probably I think some of it is just reading some of Denny's books and and having been there. <clears throat> some of the memories 
that I have. He was not he was not saying vain words. <clears throat> As quite a few of us know here, he was not saying vain words when he said that God's spirit was brooding over homes and changing homes. We've seen that. Sorry. <sighs> many men, many fathers. <sighs> I remember and know many fathers that I know <clears throat> left um, high paying jobs, left the corporate world for this. Back then, many. Time and time again. <clears throat> A man heard God's arresting voice to him personally. And he forsook his high-paying job, changed his occupation for his family's sake. That was beautiful. Amen. That was beautiful. We need that again. Amen. We need that again. That's the burden. That God's spirit would brood over our homes and our our hearts, and we would feel and hear that voice that these little children are God's given to us to raise for Him. <clears throat> God who made homes has something to say about, has something to say to the heads of the homes. He speaks to fathers in every place, in every age, including the here and the now. God is intensely interested in homes. Why? Because it's a place of beginnings. Here in our homes, new life is brought into the world. How well I remember our first baby and how it brought tears to my eyes in utter amazement. This was a God thing. In the home, children are taught and molded, and they can go one of two eternal ways. And that's why God is so intensely interested in our homes. And he says, ye fathers, in the home, morals and values are shaped, or the lack thereof. In the home, disciplines are learned or not. In the home, 
Little lives are forged. Lives of children that go on and eventually begin another home. And God is intensely interested in homes because, as it says in Malachi 2 verse 15, that God seeks a godly seed. They don't come that way. They have that ugly sting of sin. And God gives it to us to help them change. All those little children on your laps. You're holding a bit of eternity this morning. It's no wonder that it's said, that it's said, as the home goes, so goes the nation. As the home goes, so goes the church. Most important of all, Out of our homes come souls, eternal souls, moving toward an endless eternity, deeply affected by their beginnings. Their two parents. God has given fathers a solemn charge. Ye fathers. Oh my. God has given fathers a solemn charge to give direction to this powerful process of child raising. There are responsibilities we cannot evade. There are duties we must answer to. There is clear evidence in the Bible of how accountable fathers are. Taking Eli for an example. Eli learned the hard way. At the cost of the terrible tragedy, not only for him, but for his sons as well. But on the other hand, God made no secrets of his pleasure in fathers who were faithful. Praise God. Fathers that were faithful. We know many stories of men that were faithful and God noticed. For example, like Noah in the midst of the dark pre-flood world where there was wickedness unimaginable to us today. Well, maybe we're seeing it's, it's similar, but... In the midst of that darkness, God noticed Noah. And we know that he noticed Abraham. And he noticed the heart that Abraham had. He had a heart for his children and the servants of his house. That I think that's a key. We got to have a heart for our children and for those that we're responsible for. It starts in the heart, brothers. 
Do we have a heart for it? And to the men that have the heart for their and feel the responsibility for their children, God shares with them his secrets, as he did with Abraham. Oh, ye fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we don't, someone else or something else will. Fathers, if we don't, someone else or something else will. And the thing is bigger in our day than it was in generations before. Let me tell you. The thing, the technology, and somehow we need to see it. That this thing that is so powerful and so exciting, much more so than dad. I'm going to read something here. I wasn't planning to. Someone that wrote a fro, a foreword to this book, Bishop Isaac Sensnick, is the bishop of the Eastern Mennonite Church, wrote this. The pressures that many homes of the day face against being successful in passing on the faith is very heavy and unrelenting. Exposure to TV, the news media, the secular education fosters conditions described in 2 Timothy 3, 1, 7. Perilous times. The moral breakdown and desire to be entertained blind the minds of fathers who otherwise would be effective in helping their families to turn out right. The erosion of enjoyable and satisfying home life undermines proper church life and corrupts society in general. Oh, dearly beloved, this thing is huge. That technology, I hadn't planned on sharing that. But it's huge. It militates against relationships. There's so, such a demand. Friends and things and excitement. And even fathers, be careful. That thing is there and it's powerful and it's got a lot of information. But in the other lap, you have God's heritage. A blank little being needing training and teaching and guiding and instruction and example and, and, and teaching. And in this lap, we have technology. Be careful, brethren. Be careful. Amen, brethren. And so, just think of this with me for a moment. God starts here in Ephesians 6 by saying, talking to the children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he, he attaches a blessing to this commandment. But fathers and mothers, I want us to feel the responsibility. That blessing is only true is if we are trustworthy, if we are in our place, if we are godly. There is no blessing for children to obey their parents if, if they are not godly. What am I saying? The responsibility that God attaches to this commandment It's the first commandment with a promise. When we say, son, daughter, I want you to do this. It better be backed up with a life, with a life that backs it up. Amen. With a relationship that cares and and just so many things. 
There's such a responsibility attached to that promise to us. And I know we all feel the, 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 the vastness of this. And how we failed in, in our insufficiencies. But yet, there is a way that we can be so very humble that our children, in spite of our failures, can honor and obey us. And so, <clears throat> fathers, it is paramount that we are trustworthy. The children are commanded to obey and honor their father as well as their mother. But they don't know how to do this. They need help. They need help from us to honor and obey us. Think about that. They need to learn this. They don't come honoring and obeying us. And so we need to be trustworthy. That duty God put upon the fathers and the mothers to teach and to train them to honor and obey. Also, the command to, the, to, to our children is God's way of telling our children, you may expect this man to be safe to follow. If you want to live a good life, if you want to live long, listen to that man. And so they come fully expecting this man to be trustworthy. There's probably very little that devastates a child more than an unfaithful father. A father that has not been trustworthy. Brothers, this behooves us to keep our lives up to date. This is no game. If we're not right with God, if we're not walking in humility, if our lives are not real before God, someday this will come out. This is a sobering reality. Am I trustworthy? If I'm hiding any sin, any sin, fathers, this won't come out right. So for the first thing I want to impress upon us as fathers is we need to be trustworthy. Not perfect. None of us are perfect, but trustworthy. Humble, Brother David. Humble, honest, open with, with our wives and with our family. <clears throat> Secondly, fathers, we must take personal responsibility. To some people, a father is simply a man that begets children. That's a father. And that is partly true. But God had more in mind when he made fathers. If God had merely wanted children or people on the face of the earth, he wouldn't have destroyed them at the flood. But because those men begat sons and daughters and did not bring them up in the fear of the Lord, he destroyed them. He destroyed them. So we must take personal responsibility. Throughout scripture, we know that God puts the responsibility first on the fathers. And here in our text, Ephesians 6, this rivets it down 
upon us, ye fathers. That little one is our responsibility. And I know we know that. It's our responsibility to bring it up in the fear, nurture, and admonition of the Lord. We are the primary authority figure in the lives of our children, and in a sense, we represent God. How am I? How am I when not so many people are around? Do I make a good representation of God? How am I? They learn to relate to God the way they learn to relate to their father. They think about God the way they think about their father. And that puts a great responsibility upon us. Well, while that puts a great responsibility upon us, none of us, like I already said, is sufficient for these things. So what shall we do? Just in case there's some here that feel overwhelmed or discouraged, I have a word for us. None of us can do this task. None of us is strong enough, good enough, or wise enough to do this job without the help of the Lord. None of us are. And praise God, God promised to help us. Turn with me to Psalms 127. Psalms 127. God makes a promise to help us. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. God already knew our inability to raise children long before we did, brothers. Amen? He did. And he has given us a promise here that he will help us. He will help you, young brother, that is just starting out and has that first little baby on your lap. He will help you if you lean on him. If you feel the burden of this eternal soul and cry out to God and say, God, help me be the representation I need to be to this little girl, to this little boy. God, help me. Uh, uh, live my life in such a way that they get a good vision of God. Then you'll be okay if we learn to lean on the Lord. God knew that. He knew we couldn't do it. He knew we needed help. But He also knew when He gave you that little boy, that little girl. If we are willing to do our job. Another reason I believe that God wants to be involved in this process of, of family is because really, young men, that child that you're holding is not totally yours. God has still an attachment to that child. It is God's. He lent it to you. The fruit of the womb is his reward. God gave you this for a time. Maybe about 20 years. 12 years maybe for for the primary training. There's some more that we can do after that. But not so much. They are the Lord's property. Look that little child in the eyes and think. This is really, yes, 
He might look like me. She might look like mom, but they're really not ours. They are from the Lord. Time is of essence here. We must, fathers, this is the fourth point now. Sorry, I'm not very clear in my points, but fathers must see the importance of the present today. The little children, those infants that we have here among us, in light of the potential for the future. We have a word picture here. Uh, in Psalms 127, about a mighty man. As arrows, let me read verse 3, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. There it is. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. You're making arrows. And you want to make that thing straight. Now is the time to teach and to train. And we'll get into that hopefully more later if you pray for me. But now is the time to teach and to train and to make that, that arrow straight. Because once you let it go, it's gone. It's a little different than the literal arrow that, you can, that does this. You can go and bring it back and reshape it. Once it's gone, it's gone. So you want to make straight arrows. And he uses the word a mighty man, and probably not many of us feel mighty when it comes to family and child raising. We don't necessarily feel mighty, but I think the word picture is the far-reaching effect, the, the vastness of this. They can, like a mighty man, can shoot an arrow far. We don't know where these children will go. What they will do, the impact they will have on their world... Yes, that little child on your lap, it might, she might, he might go far, much further than you ever imagined. So the important thing is to make it straight today. And it, it, this mighty, in light of our children, may mean mighty in population. If I have two children and they all have two children. In ten generations, you will have over 2,000 descendants. If, if the math was done right. Who has two children here? Raise your hands. Anyone? Kenrick? Ten generations, if all your children have two children, you'll have two, over 2,000 descendants. That should make your decision today pretty important. The things, the choices that you make, the things that we put in front of those little eyes. 2,000 descendants? That, if that doesn't make our daily decisions a lot more important, I don't know what will. And we think about what we put in front of their eyes and And all these things. Oh, brothers. My. The Rechabites. The Rechabites. I'm not sure how many generations that was. I looked it up once. Five or so generations. Four or five. They were still on target. Dad did something right. And he probably had something, and I'm going to maybe harp on this a little more. He probably had something in favor. He didn't have a lot of books. He didn't have a lot of outside influence. It was word of mouth. Word of mouth. Dad taught son to teach his son. Son taught son to teach his son. Word of mouth. We have something to contend with. And it's called. What is it called? information and a lot of it that does not agree with where we want to go 
It's a crosswind. It's a distraction. It's, it's a crosswind that can make the arrow go crooked. I think this is the last point. Fathers, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Yeah, I wept when my firstborn came into the world, but I'm very happy today with him. I'm blessed. I'm blessed with my children. And I hope you can say the same. I'm blessed with all my children, not just my firstborn. And these are things that are to be enjoyed. Look with me in Psalms 127 here where it says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. That word heritage means, I have it down here somewhere, I believe it means, uh, no, the reward, the word reward means he compensates. God compensates us. He rewards us with children. If we teach and train them, they are tremendous gifts from the Lord. So much so that David ends up this psalm in verse 5, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. Now you know, it's not that way in the world. And maybe sadly, it's leaking into the church that two is about all you can deal with. Two children. Many men see their children as a nuisance. Or maybe even as a curse. How do we see them? I hope I, I elevated that thing a little bit more. To stir our vision, to, to rise up to the challenge, rise up, O men of God, to raise up a godly seed. That's my responsibility, that's your responsibility, to train that little ungodly will out of them. The Christian, unlike the ungodly man who sees them as a nuisance or as a curse, he cherishes, he broods over the little one as a very special gift from the Lord. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And that is the truth. Children that love the Lord bring the greatest satisfaction to their parents. Oh, my brothers, may we pray that God would turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest God come and smite the earth with a curse. I read a poem yet in closing here. Press on. For those whose lives are linked to thee, whose hearts seek ere true faith to see, for all who'd stumble if you should fall, stay faithful to the upward call. When fears assail to turn thee back, when courage you most surely lack, look onward, upward to thy king, and from that glance thy heart can sing. Be pressing onward for their sake, and from thy God thy courage take. For though thy struggles weigh thee down, thy perseverance wins thy crown. So be found faithful for those 
you love. Keep fixed thy heart on God above, and ne'er look back, though the night be long, but look to Christ and still press on. Would you agree to pray for me in the following, in the upcoming messages? Would you agree? Would you agree to raise your hands? Would you agree that much? Can you raise your hands and tell me that you will be praying for the messages? Thank you. I know you have. I know you do. But, brothers, I think this thing is big. I don't know how to preach message on the home, but I know Satan knows how to destroy homes. And I know he's against this. I know he's against preaching. And he'll do everything he can to make us lose out. So thank you for that support for prayer. Thank you. God bless you.